Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here with you. Right, I think I'm wired for sound now, so should be good. So, if you want a title for this morning's message, it's this. What on earth is God doing? What on earth is God doing? What's going on? We've got war in Ukraine, rumours of war in the South China Seas. We've got a global pandemic we're just about recovering from, threats of resurgence during the winter, new strains, monkeypox around as well. We've got an economic crisis, energy costs risen fourfold, inflation going up to 13%, maybe higher than that, a global grain shortage. The BBC were describing it as a social catastrophe. I mean, that's the four horses of the apocalypse just there. <laughs> and there's more. There's climate change. Hottest temperatures ever recorded in the UK. We've got forests burning across Europe. Ice caps melting. Sea level rising. Political stagnation. No prime minister for seven weeks. Politics bogged down in scandal. Where are the great statesmen and stateswomen? Will they please step forward? These are the phobitrons. It's an attack of the phobitrons. If you don't know what a phobitron is, look it up. Luke 21, verse 11, Jesus says, the phobitrons are coming. And they're not talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> and we've got a massive identity crisis a whole generation of young people growing up in a crisis of identity and purpose not knowing who they are what they're supposed to be doing and of course no surprise that on the back of that an epidemic of mental health illness so what on earth is God doing Well now, across our uh, different congregations here in New Life Community Church, we are looking at Hebrews. Hebrews begins by telling us that in times past, God has revealed himself in many different ways and through many different people, talking about the patriarchs and the prophets. We've got the scriptures We've got the nation of Israel as well. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the days of the son of God. These are the days of Christianity. John, when he starts his gospel, he says about how the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and he says we have beheld his glory glory as of the only son of the father in uh, in his letter first john one he's he starts again really saying from the beginning and he says we have what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that our joy may, may be complete and so that you might have fellowship with us 
with the Father and the Son. Now in Matthew chapter 16, and it's repeated again in Mark 8 and Luke 9, we have this point where Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who are people saying that I am? And they say, oh, some say John the Baptist resurrected again. Others say Elijah's returned. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And then he gets personal and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let's get personal. Let's get individual. Let's get one to one. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon, of course, comes out with that great confession. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Simon Jonathan, you have hit the nail on the head. You've got it absolutely spot on. And he says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And on this rock, I will build my church. He says, I'm going to call you Peter, which means boulder rock. Because on this rock, which means solid rock, Petros, solid rock, I'm going to build my church. He wasn't saying I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. I mean, we're all in terrible straits if the Lord God is going to build the church on the back of some man. We'll be in big trouble. He says, on that rock, that rock of revelation and confession, that's where I'm going to build my church. And he says, I will build my church. There's something really personal about that, isn't it? My church. We're part of his church. You are part of his church. And he is building it. I want you to know that. When we say, what on earth is God doing? He's building the church. He's building his church. And he goes on and says that all the authority of hell and damnation itself will not prevail against this church that I'm building. Just think about that. Nothing will prevail against it. This church that he is building will stand and will prevail and will last. And he goes straight on to say to his disciples, doesn't he? Look, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities there. I'm going to be arrested, tried, crucified. On the third day, I'm going to rise again according to the scriptures. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to pour out the promised Holy Spirit upon you. And then the church will begin. And we see that happen in the book of Acts. Now, For any new enterprise, company or charity, society, whatever, really what you need is a decent figurehead, don't you? You need somebody at the top that's going to attract a bit of attention. I mean, if you can get a celebrity patron, then that's really useful. If you can get royalty, well, you know, then you're really motoring. So I want to tell you, as the church, we've got one, okay? We've got one. Just listen to these verses out of Ephesians chapter 1. Talking about God, when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he seated him 
at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So our patron, our head, our CEO, the big cheese that's right at the top, he is seated in heavenly places above all other rule and authority and dominion and power nothing even gets close far above nothing even gets close he's given a name which is above every other name and not every other name not just every other name that you can think of now every other name that ever has been every other name that ever will be he's absolutely secure in that position and all things are in subjection under him. I mean, you just can't beat that, can you? That's the absolute top. And he is given to us. He's given to the church to be the head of the church, his church. So that's who's on top of the pile, all right? That's who's ruling, that's who's in charge. And we see that straight away in Acts chapter 2. Let me just read you the description that we've got of the church on day one this is our heritage right guys this is where we came from this is where it all began we're part of the lineage from this point so you when you hear this description you've got to count yourself in and say they are my brothers and sisters they are christian brothers christian sisters in the first church where it began they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as any might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those that were being saved. So there's this wonderful picture of the church gathered together and the Lord ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, is building his church, adding to them day by day by day. Paul, you know, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, look, we're, we're just talking about himself and Apollos and other church leaders, he says, look, we're just workers in God's field. We're just the workers. I'm planting, Apollos is watering, but God is bringing the increase. 
we're just doing our bit tilling the ground a bit here and there dropping the odd seed in here and there but it's the power of god at work that is bringing the growth and bringing the increase and any farmer will tell you the same thing all they can do is put the seed in the ground they don't have the power to make that seed work that power is already innate in the seed yes. it's not coming from them it's in the seed and i want you to know and understand that's the way it is today i want you to get a a picture and understanding of the lord jesus christ at work amongst us he's still building his church he hasn't stopped building his church he still takes it very personally i will build my church that's who we are we get this picture in revelation chapter one so john taking a walk along the beach one day on the Isle of Patmos and he gets caught up and he hears a voice behind him and he says starting from verse 12 then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to his feet girded across his chest with a golden sash his head and hair were white like wool like snow his eyes a blazing flame of fire his feet like burnished bronze which had been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ walking amongst the lampstands he explains in the next few verses the lampstands are the churches we're light bearers aren't we the lampstands are the churches notice that when he turns to see who's, he sees the lampstands first and then he sees jesus walking in the midst i want you to know that this risen glorified lord jesus still walks amongst the lampstanders today when we are gathered here like this he walks amongst us in that way building his church healing one here releasing another one here strengthening encouraging setting people free building people up releasing them in his love he's walking amongst us okay I want you to really see that really understand it when we gather together when you guys gather together when you gather together on a sunday morning whether you're whether you're here in Fallingbridge or whether you're down in ringwood whether you're over in wimborne up in verwood or soon to be over in downton the lord jesus christ himself in his power and his glory walks amongst us building his church strengthening his church that's what he's doing getting the phobitrons out of your head <laughs> saying don't worry about these things i'm building my church you know um 
This is how it is now, these couple of verses, and then chapter 4, he says, come on up here and I'll show you the things that may shortly take place. But verses 1, 2, and chapters 1, 2, and 3, that's where we're at now. That's, that's us now. That's the earthly perspective. In chapter 7, we've got a picture of uh, a, a huge multitude that cannot be counted, gathered before the throne of God. And it says they are gathered out of every tribe and nation and tongue from all corners of the earth. I want to just expand that idea. That is the church, okay? <laughs> I want to just expand that idea and say, you know, whatever way you want to categorise people, all of mankind, whatever way you want to categorise them, the Lord Jesus Christ will have some for himself from each category. So if you want to categorise people according to nations, then he'll have some from each category. If you want to categorise them according to ethnic group, according to language, he'll have some from each category. If you want to categorise according to age, he'll have some from every category, from, from you know, the, the, the well, uh, you know, these guys are up to, in the beginning of the Bible, they're way up 900 odd, aren't they? Every age, even your zero and your sub-zeros, all right? the stillborn, the miscarriages, he'll have them from those number, okay? What about class? He'll take the rich, the super rich, the mega rich, he'll have his millionaires, his billionaires, they'll be there, and he'll also have his slaves, his, his epsilon class, the lowest of the low. He'll have some from every class, every strategy that you could have in society. Do you know, he'll have some from every religion. He'll have some that are converting across from Hinduism, from Muslimism, from, I don't know, all of them. <laughs> the Taoists, <laughs> the Buddhists, they'll all be in there. Even, even the Satanists, okay? Those that are converting across from, I mean, there are books in the bookshop you can read, testimonies of people that have come across from worshipping the devil himself. Jesus will have some from that category. Employment. Yep, he'll have his carpenters, of course. <laughs> you know, but there'll be the bankers as well. Oh, yes, they'll be in there too. Doesn't matter what type of employment or indeed unemployment. They'll all be there. What about ability? Disability. They'll all be in there. Doesn't matter what category of disease. Even if you think about the way people die. You know, he'll have his accident victims, the ones run over by the proverbial bus. They'll be there. But what about those that die? Different diseases. Or your different cancers or your heart attacks. Or whatever. He'll have some from every category. Right across. It doesn't matter which way you define it, which way you look at it. And he'll have those rescued from every category of sin that you can think of. Every category of sin, from your, from your the little white liars, he'll have those, <laughs> you know, from those caught up in great vice. He'll have them all. Your mafia leaders, he'll have them as well. They'll all be gathered before the throne of God. And I tell you what, 
they will all have been in the church, part of the church. That's who the church is made up from. So look around you now and think, oh, wonder what vice they've come from. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the glorious church that our great Lord Jesus Christ is building. It's a kingdom, it's a community, above all else, it's a family. It is not an institution. It is not a business. And it's not a society or a club. It's a family. It's a family where we follow one commandment. We're under the new covenant, so we have a new commandment. And this is what our new Moses gives us. A new commandment I give to you. This is John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Love one another. That's the golden rule, really, that covers us all. Love one another. That gets broken down into lots of other one another's. Are you familiar with the little one another's? If you want to do a a word study, get get your computer and get it to search for that phrase, one another, in the New Testament. And you'll get love one another, but you'll also get encourage one another, serve one another, strengthen one another, be patient with one another, strengthen one another, prefer one another in love. All of these we practice. All of these are what's seen amongst us. When the Lord Jesus says, love one another, it's all of these. People, you know, that 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 are loving one another are not tearing one another down they're not looking to backbite we don't have people that are looking to establish where they are in the pecking order by pecking on others and seeing if they can peck them down and wait until they get pecked on and then thinking right this is where i am in the pecking order we don't have that we don't have people that are social climbers oh i'm friends with these people i'm friends with those people you know and somehow bigging themselves up there's no room for that in the church. There's no room for it in the church. We're not backbiting one another. We're not saying, oh, do you know what so-and-so did? I've heard that this happened and they said that. Listen, we're not doing that stuff. And if that stuff comes your way, put your foot down and say, I'm not participating in that kind of thing. That isn't loving one another. That's tearing one another apart. That's pulling one another down. You, you know, you're in... That's not the family that we're part of. Let's not get into any of that. We are brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers together. We're living together in purity and in holiness. We're living together with a love of the truth and with a knowledge of the grace of God. I want to tell you there's lots and lots of room in the church to make mistakes okay you're not in here on your own merit you're in here because the lord jesus has added you and nobody around you here is going to unadd you so you know don't be worried about because people i've had people say to me i'm not i'm not good enough for the church i haven't lived a good enough life for the church it's about grace it's about grace you're never going to be good enough Never, nobody's ever going to be good enough. Oh, I'm, 
I'm now good enough to be part of God's family. What? <laughs> Who achieves that? We have to look beyond the clothes styles, the hair styles. We've got to look beyond the tattoos and the body piercing. We've got to look beyond the accents and the vocabulary. We've got to look beyond all of those things and see one another as the Father sees us. That's what Jesus said he did. He says, he only says the things that he hears the Father speak to him. He sees what the Heavenly Father is doing and that's what he does. We've got to look at people in the way that our Heavenly Father looked at people. You know what people are worth? Those people sat around you. Do you know what they're worth? They're worth the blood of the Son of God. Every one of them is worth the, and you're worth the same. Nobody is worth more. Who could be worth more? And nobody is worth less. That's leveling up for you, isn't it? All right, we're not leveled down to the lowest common denominator. We are leveled up to the highest value that there could be. That's what we're worth. And we need to see one another that way and behave towards one another that way and relate to one another that way, esteem one another that way. Here's what I mean by truth and grace. There's a story told of the woman caught in adultery that's brought to Jesus. I know immediately that it is the woman caught in adultery. I mean, it just does take two to commit adultery, okay? It's, you know, just biological fact. Where the man caught in adultery is, well, he's not in this book. He doesn't get to be in this story. Uh, so there was a bit of a setup, really. But the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus and thrown to the ground. And they say, you know, Moses says we should stone. What do you say? Just bringing the harshness of the law. And of course, there's a truth to that. There's truth to that. And what was Jesus going to do? Jesus gets down in the dirt where the woman is. He's down with her. It says he draws in the dirt, a bit of a doodle. Waiting, I think, really, on a word of wisdom, which he then receives, doesn't he? He stands up and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he's back down in the dirt. And they're all gone. And he says to the woman, where are those that are accusing you? And she says, there isn't any. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So there's the grace of God. He didn't say, ah, don't worry about it. There's the challenge, isn't there? Go and sin no more. That's one heck of a challenge, isn't it? Go and sin no more. But that's the grace of God. There's another example where um, a woman who's he, she's known to be a prostitute, and he is um, at uh, I think it's Simon the Pharisee's house. And there's a lot of social climbing going on there. There's a lot of, you know, who's who in the pecking order there. And Jesus is reclining at the table. So, I mean, you know, he's got a place of honour there. 
Um, I don't know who else is at the table or where he is at the table. And this woman comes and with her long hair, she, so this is, right, this is when we're reclining at table, this is like the Roman way, okay? So he's literally lying down on a chaise long, okay? Not sitting like we would sit at the table, but the Roman style is lying down and, you know, feeding himself like that. So that's why, that's how this is going to happen. So he's, you know, he's lying down like that with his feet out there. Um, and she comes and she weeps and washes his feet with her hair using the water of her tears. I mean, can you just imagine the atmosphere there when this begins to happen? So there, there she is sobbing quietly, but she's sobbing. She's bathing his feet with her hair. I mean, I think all the other conversations you could see, all the chat and stuff would just kind of peter out, wouldn't it, you know? It would just be silence. And of course, they're all thinking to themselves, well, you know, I noticed that everybody else there knows that she's the prostitute. You know, that's interesting to me that they all recognise that about her. Yes. Um, anyway. Jesus has this parable, doesn't he, that he says to Simon, what, 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 what he concludes with this, he says, he who is forgiven much, loves much. He who is forgiven little, loves, loves little. I want you to understand that, that when folk come through our doors and you think, man, you know, they're, they're a mess. What have they been up to? What's been going on? I want you to understand that that Lord Jesus that's walking amongst the lamp standards sees a worshipper, sees a lover, sees someone who will, who knows how to devote themselves. Opportunity, forgiven much, will love much. We should see people the same way. We need to recognise that. The church here a place of healing. The Bible calls it washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. Washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can get all sorts of stuff, can't you, for your shower gel that's supposed to invigorate you and get you going in the morning. You know, all sorts of nonsense they add to it. I don't know what it is. I just need a bar of soap ready, but... <laughs> But their sense of, you know, what they're reaching for there is that, you know, that regeneration and renewal. I want you to know the Holy Spirit washes people with a washing of regeneration and renewal. It's done through the word of God. People preach the word of God. And he's washing people. He's renewing them. He's regenerating them. He's putting them back together. He's setting people free from lies and sin that has bound them up and locked them up. He's setting people free, breaking those chains. He's healing people physically, mentally, emotionally. That's what's going on. That's what the church is. That's what happens when we gather together. We used to say, no Jesus, no life. That was our, our slogan. When we first started, no Jesus, no life. I'll let you chew on that and figure that out. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it in all of its abundance. Now, I want you to know 
that abundant life doesn't mean the same as happy life. Okay, Jesus didn't say, I came that they might be perpetually happy. <laughs> life in all of its abundance is rich and full and satisfying and includes plenty of the downs as well as the ups. Okay, so if you're coming to an abundant life that the Lord Jesus is giving you, then expect some challenges from life that will grow you and stretch you. You know, the fruit, the best fruit comes from the trees that are planted in the dirtiest dirt. You know, you, we dig the dirt in, don't we, around those fruit trees to get good fruit. So don't be shocked, don't be surprised if you're following the Lord Jesus and you end up going down some, some dirty paths, some dark places. Perhaps some experiences in life which you think, well, I didn't sign up for this stuff. But you know what? Your Heavenly Father has got you in his hands and the Lord Jesus is saying, I want you to have something to be able to give to others. I'm not making you exempt from the troubles of this world. I want you to be an example of those that can live through these things. It's a, it's a place of prayer and worship and the word. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what Jesus gets zealous about. That's the, that's the thing, isn't it, that's highlighted. That's the fulfilment of that prophecy about the Messiah being zealous for the house of God. He fulfills it over prayer. There's no room to pray in this temple, he says, and drives out the moneylenders and the trading and the commercial activity that's going on. I want people to be able to come and pray and seek God and find God. You can read about Solomon's prayer of dedication in the Old Testament. When the temple was built, he prays a prayer of dedication. That's where that quotation comes from. My house should be called a house of prayer. Solomon prays, let this be a house of prayer. Let people be able to come from all the nations. And when they come here and they pray and they, you know, they seek the God of this place, Lord, he says, will you hear their prayers and answer? We need to be a house of prayer, get zealous about prayer. We are gospel-centred, cross-focused, Jesus-central. Okay, we're not trying to reach the heights in terms of our production when it comes to our worship, you know, with our lights and smoke and all the rest of it, you know, and video technology. We need to make Jesus the centre. He's going to be the focus. He's the one walking amongst the lampstandards. He's the one that we want to honour. We want people to have a, or many, holy encounters. We've read it here in the book of Acts. There was a sense of awe amongst them. There's another passage that says, they were held in high regard, people feared to be associated with them, yet multitudes and multitudes of men and women were continually being added to their number. That's what I call a successful evangelism program, eh? Multitudes and multitudes continually being added. But what's going on? 
there's that sense of awe and wonder and the presence of God when these people gather together, so much so that the unbelievers are fearful about joining them. And yet they're being propelled in. God is adding to their number day by day, those that are being saved. It's a place of dedication to the word of God. That's why we want to make room when we meet together. We always want to make room for the word of God. We want the word of God to be living and active amongst us, working its work, allowing the spirit to work his work with the word that is preached. You know, there's something about the witness of the church. The purpose of the Lord Jesus in building his church and in spreading that out to the ends of the earth is so that in every community, in every community, there is a gathering of people that represent those from that community so that nobody can say, doesn't matter where you are in the world or what town or city you're living in, no unbeliever, oh, every unbeliever, should be able to, you should be able to look at the church, you should be able to find somebody like you. There's somebody who looks like me. There's somebody who speaks like me. There's somebody who's in my social class. There's somebody who suffers with the same things I suffer from. There's somebody who's challenged in the same way I'm challenged. And they are Christians. And they're showing me the difference it is to be a Christian. They're showing me what I could be like if I was in the church. So everybody is without excuse. That is the witness of the church. That is the witness of the church. So that's not your, that's not your personal witness, but as we gather together, that's our witness to the communities that we're in. Somebody, we're like somebody in that community. They can identify with us, whatever way you want to carve it up. That's the witness of the church. And you know, Back to Revelation again, chapter 21, we get a picture of the church described as the new Jerusalem, the city of God. There were 12 gates to that city. Three north, three west, three south, three east. Very accessible, okay? Doesn't matter which way you approach that city, you've got three gates to get through. <laughs> And if you go around the corner, there's another three. If you go around the other corner, there's another three. Very accessible. We need to be, we are. God is building us so that we are very accessible. People can come in through lots and lots of different routes. But of course, they come to the cross every time. They come to the Saviour every time. They come to the one place every time. And that brings us to our message we are a church with a message. It's not our message. We are not saying, come and join the church and you will be saved. All right? We're not saying that. We're not saying, come along to our Bible study group and your life will be transformed. We're not saying, come to the coffee morning, drink our coffee and eat our cake and you will be saved. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> That's not the message. We're not inviting people to join the church. People get saved because they meet 
the head of the church. They meet the Lord Jesus Christ and he adds them to the church. Now, so many different ways, quite good fun really to read through the scriptures and catch some of the ways in which the gospel is expressed. So, you know, there's the old John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not be condemned but receive eternal life. Or you can take where we've been here, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter preaches the gospel and he says, they, I like the way that he's preaching. He doesn't build to an altar call or whatever. He's preaching and they interrupt him and say, how do we get saved? What must we do to be saved? They interrupt him. And he says, repent, be baptised, receive the Holy Spirit. The good old Peter package. <laughs> so you could go for that one. Or you've got Philip. This is a good simple one. Philip out in the desert with the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, he's reading a passage from Isaiah. And it says, Philip, from that scripture, Philip preached Jesus to him. And he got saved and then got baptised. I like that. Preach Jesus to him. That's good. You can get a little bit more complicated if you like. So you've got Paul on Mars Hill in Athens. Preaches, there's quite a good few verses there. And he comes, he builds to his conclusion. And he says, having overlooked the ignorance of the past, God is now commanding that all men everywhere should repent because he's appointed a judge and he's fixed judgment day. Now that's quite a good way to end your preach, isn't it? That's dramatic, that's challenging. And you know, our message needs to be challenging. We, we need to confront people in the same way that the Lord Jesus did. Who do you say that I am? People need to encounter these claims of the Lord Jesus. They need to meet him in our preaching. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Or you've got 1 John 4.14, very simple. The Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Boom, that's it. <laughs> How many words is that? Nine words is it? That's good. So, you know, lots of different ways of declaring the gospel, but it's not our message, it's his message. It's delivered to us to declare, and we need to find ways of declaring that gospel. It's, it's, you know, it's gospel, it's good news. News is proclaimed, isn't it? News is announced. You don't find, you know, the dramatic 10 o'clock news and then... Fiona Bruce says, I wonder if I might just, can I just, would you mind if I could just have a quick word? I, there's something I think you might like to hear about. No, it's, you know, boom, there are headlines, wallop, wallop, wallop. It's news, it needs to be proclaimed and declared. When Paul talks about coming to the Corinthians, he talks about how he resolved to proclaim nothing amongst them but Christ crucified. He was going to preach about the Lord Jesus and he was going to preach about the cross. And that's what he was going to focus on. And that's what he centered on. And he said he came in fear and weakness and trembling. He felt very inadequate about the message that he was going to bring. But he, he understood that that was the message that he had. He wasn't going to come with persuasive words of wisdom. You know, if you argue somebody 
into being a Christian, you know, with the strength of your intellect, somebody else is going to come along and argue them right back out again. We are not arguing with people. Okay? Not persuasive words of wisdom, but what? Demonstration of the Spirit's power. He said, I came to preach Christ crucified and a demonstration of the power of God so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. I'm a great believer that the, the message that we preach shapes the converts that we get. If we preach a wishy-washy, you know, come to baby Jesus in the manger and, you know, he will help you. He'll help you have a happy life. You know, guess what? When it's not happy next week, I'm off to find somebody else, you know. Now, we need to preach until people are convicted. Mark 16, go and preach the gospel and these signs will follow you. That's what Jesus says. Go and preach the gospel and these signs will follow. Signs and wonders will follow. And, you know, you read a few verses down. So that's Mark 16, 15. By the time you get to 16, verse 20, it says they went out to follow, preach the word of God. And the Lord worked with them, confirming the word preached with the signs and wonders that followed. There's the risen Lord Jesus working, building his church, working alongside us. As we're proclaiming his gospel, as we're proclaiming his name, he's in there working, bringing signs and wonders to follow, to confirm the word preached. In, in um, Acts 3, where um, Peter and John go to the temple and there is the uh, cripple at the gate. And he's been there 40 years, which means that throughout the whole ministry of Jesus, they were walking past him every time they went in and out of the temple. And he was there, untouched. But he was safe for Peter and John. And when they went there, Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none, what I have I give to you, rise and be healed. And this guy is raised up and he runs into the temple leaping and shouting and dancing and praising God. And a huge crowd gathers, an enormous crowd gathers. So they gather because they see the miracle. But then Peter preaches to them. And he says, you know, this guy's been healed. Not, there's nothing about me that's caused this guy to be healed. He's been healed in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom you crucified. <laughs> and he, let, he lets it rip with them. But it says, they were amazed at the miracle, but they believed when they heard his preaching. So miracles and signs and wonders there to get people's attention. And in this world where there are so many other things clamoring for attention, something that is supernatural, something that is inexplicable, something that is out of this world grabs people's attention. We need to follow that with the preaching of the word or we preach the word and God follows with the signs and wonders. Right, I'm getting a bit carried away here. 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, My gospel did not come to you in word only, but with power and in the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. People need to be... The, the work of the Holy Spirit is so important in salvation. Jesus says the Spirit will convict the world. So this is his work in the world. This is his work with unbelievers. He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they didn't believe the gospel. 
Do you realise that? That's the one thing, that's the one sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting unbelievers of. That they don't believe. That there is a loving God of truth and light who's utterly dependable, utterly reliable. He hasn't got an angle on it. There's no hidden there's no small print somewhere he's completely dependable utterly reliable and they don't believe they'd rather believe something else they'd rather believe something that they heard somebody wrote in a book some time ago and they saw a program about it on the telly that's what people are like that's what people are like that's the sin that the spirit convicts of believe the gospel repent and believe the gospel of righteousness because Jesus says, I'm convicted of righteousness because I go to the Father. We need to preach an ascended, enthroned, empowered Lord Jesus, far above all other name, at which your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that he is Lord. We need to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And judgment, he says that the Holy Spirit will convict of judgment because the ruler of this age is judged. There's a conviction of judgment that comes because the devil... And all of his angels is done for, it's finished. The battle has been won. So we need to proclaim that as well. That the battle is won, that the powers of darkness have lost. Yes. Right, I'm getting well carried away. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so demonstration, procla proclamation of the gospel and demonstration of the gospel. Apologies to all those who work very hard in our community. There is the demonstration of the gospel salt and light softening hearts with loving kindness not only for those who receive the benefit of those works of service in the community but also for those who look on and see what's happening that is the gospel being demonstrated right on my last page now when i was a young man Somebody said to me, if you want to make a success of your life, find out what God is doing and throw yourself in without hesitation or reservation. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, when he preaches about David, he says, David fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. I would like the same to be said about me and about all of us. Would you like the same to be said about you? That you fulfilled the purposes of God in your generation. What are the purposes of God? How, you, how can you be about filling them? Well, what's God doing? What is he doing on earth? He's building the church. So I want to challenge you, really. Will you commit to this program? of building the church will you throw yourself in without hesitation or reservation will you be about what god is doing and fulfilling the purposes of god will you be joined will you be added will you be immersed in your local church misquoting terribly an american president ask not what the church can do for you but rather what you can do for the church. Don't come as a consumer 
don't come with your needs first and think, well, you know, how can I get my needs met? Will this group of people meet my needs? Leave your needs at the foot of the cross and come instead as a servant in humility and say, Lord Jesus, how can I help you build the church? How can I be added? Well, I'll give you one answer. One answer. If you want to know what you can do for the church, it's this. Love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength. You know, when Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, after, after all that he writes in Corinthians, he's coming to his conclusion and he says, I was fearful of you that like Eve, you might have been deceived and led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He, he, says, he says that being led astray is the essential sin, the first sin. Being led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And I think it doesn't take long to contemplate our own sin and realise that's where it began. That's where it began. I moved away from the simplicity and purity of devotion yes. to Christ. And that's what I would encourage you to do. You know, we're back in Revelation again and the one who's walking amongst the lampstands, the first letter that he writes is to the church in Ephesus. And he says, you're doing all these marvellous things, but I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. And then he says to them, you know, repent and do the things you did at first or else I'm going to take that lamp standard away from you. Love is what he looks for. Love conquers everything. Love is the central part. Love the Lord your Jesus. Love the Lord Jesus with all of your heart. Love the church that he is building. Be devoted. It's simple. It's pure. And everything else flows from that. Right. Let's have the worship team back up if we can. Now, I don't know what the Lord's been speaking to you about. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's been whispering to you. Some to be encouraged, some to be strengthened. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I've kind of, I've let the baton drop a bit, really. I've kind of lapsed a bit here just be renewed in your devotion to the lord and in your commitment to the church i hope that i've inspired you as well and your vision of the church is lifted so it's not just you know one another that you see around you know you see one another with a greater eyes maybe with better with better better eyes a better light and I hope that you are caught up with an understanding about this is what the Lord Jesus is doing. This is what all of heaven is doing right now. Despite everything that's raging around you, his response to all of that is to build the church. And we're part of that. Thank God we are caught up in that. 
Let's give it everything we've got, eh? Let's give it everything we've got. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Right. <laughs>